reasons for why we should live holy lives. Uh, We'll look at those here, the last three of them this morning, the time that we have. Let's pray together. Father, help us, I pray. There are some in this room this morning who are discouraged. Others, Lord, are rejoicing in you and their hearts are aglow with your love. Father, there are some here who are very distracted and perhaps self-centered, consumed with themselves, and they've lost the joy of your salvation. Uh, Father, I pray that you'd remind us of your love for us today, uh, lest we be like the children of Israel who looked at what they had and wished that they could trade it in for their uh, bondage and slavery of the past. Father, I pray that we would realize that you love us and uh, that is why you bring us through difficult times in our lives. And Father, I pray that we would leave this morning with our hearts aflame with love for you. And I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we've, we've said and we've seen in these believers' lives and we've experienced it in our own lives that it's not easy to live in this world in which we're living. Uh, Peter is giving these believers five incentives to encourage them in their walk with the Lord. Um, I notice all, first of all, here this, this morning that we're motivated to follow the Lord Jesus Christ by his word. Now, this is coming on the heels of what we've already learned so far. Our motivation is that Christ is going to return. Our motivation to live a holy life is because our Heavenly Father himself is holy. But I noticed, first of all, this morning that we're motivated to follow Christ and to live a holy life by the word of God. Now, this is a bit subtle, but look at it in in chapter one, in verse number 16. He says this, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And he quotes, Peter quotes from Leviticus chapter 11 in verse 44, this idea of God's desire, his desiring that his people be holy, is not new uh, for New Testament believers. It actually was God's will for uh, the people of Israel, his chosen people. And it's his, it's his will for us today as New Testament believers. How do we know that holy living is important? We could ask that question. I mean, why don't we just go with the flow or why don't we just give in to the flesh? Um is, is this somebody, is this a human being, a man who's making up some new teaching, uh, raising a, 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 a standard that is impossible for you and for me to attain to and to please God with? Well, uh, we know it because Peter's quoting from the word of God. Uh, Leviticus 11, be ye holy for I am holy. What should guide us in our daily decisions? I mean, every day we're faced with them, right? Purchases to make. Refinance the house, don't refinance the house, buy a property, don't buy a property. Um, treatment of a husband or wife, um, our thoughts, uh, what, where we allow our thoughts to go. Uh, what should determine the decisions and steps that we take on a daily basis? And, and it's interesting, the beginning of verse number 16, Peter says, because it is written. And the first step to staying clean in a world like we live in, in the flesh that each one of us are robed in, is to ask this question, what does the Bible say? When you and I are faced with a decision, maybe even a small decision like what we're going to watch on TV, what does, does the Bible have anything to say about what we're about to do? 
what we're about to what we're thinking or maybe what we're about to listen to or how we're about to engage an individual in conversation. Does the Bible have anything to say about what we're about to do? Uh, Throughout the word of God, we find principles and illustrations and promises and commands and warnings uh, about how we should live and how we shouldn't live. We find throughout the word of God, a person, God himself presented to us. And uh, the Bible gives us guidance and the Bible gives us direction and it gives us help in our daily decisions. And if we're really willing to follow the Lord then the Bible tells us he will really show us the truth. I would also say the opposite is true. God knowing our hearts, if I say, I want to know the truth, but if my heart does not want to know the truth, if my words are insincere, I cannot expect that God will reveal to me his truth. If my heart is far from him and not sincerely wanting to know the truth, In fact, in John chapter 7 and verse 17, Jesus said this, If any man will do his will, if any man has the heart to do the will of the Father, Jesus says he shall shall know of the doctrine, of the teaching, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. There were many people that Jesus talked to and taught, and many people did not believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ And Jesus tells them, if you will do his will, then you'll know the truth. Doesn't that seem backward? Uh, Sometimes we would say, well, if I know the truth, I'll do his will. Well, sometimes we know what to do, but our hearts are not willing to do what we know is right. And when that happens, we actually begin to miss out on truth, on more truth that God would desire to give to us. So he says, as it is written, and he points these believers back to Leviticus, all the way back to the Pentateuch, and he reminds them that God has said, be holy, for I am holy. We study the Bible. Many of you do on a daily basis. You open God's word. Sometimes we call it a personal personal Bible study, or maybe we call it devotions. And we open God's word on a daily basis. We, we gather ourselves as a church every Sunday and we gather ourselves on Wednesday and the word of God is opened and we, and we study the word of God, not just to increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to better know God. I mean, that is the whole point of the word of God, that we would know him so that we would love him, that we would know him and we would know his love for us. We would know who he is. God's word is a sword, the Bible tells us, for battle. It's a light to guide us in this dark world. It's food that nourishes us and strengthens us. It's water, the Bible talks about, that washes over us to cleanse us. Hold your place in 1 Peter and look back to Psalm with me. Would you, Psalm 19? I'm going to look at a couple of Psalms. I'll read them. Psalm 19. I want you to see them with your own eyes, these words. Psalm 19, I'll begin reading in verse number 7. Psalm 19, verse 7, says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing, rejoicing the heart. 
The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean and enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey than, and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. He's talking about the Bible. He's talking about the Word of God. And one of the great motivators for you and for me to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, really to direct us and show us how we can live a life that is holy and right before the Lord, is to, to study the Word of God, to hear the Word of God, to receive the Word of God, just one truth at a time. And as we have a heart to hear the Word of God and do the will of God, God reveals to us more truth. Here in Psalm 19, look back to Psalm 1. Psalm 1 in your Bibles. This is a psalm that my dad led our family to memorize when I was a child. And I'm the oldest of four in my family. And, and mom memorized it and dad memorized it. They, they probably had it memorized before then. I didn't realize that at the time, looking back. But they probably already had it memorized. But they led us children to memorize it. Look at Psalm 1 in verse 1. He says, blessed or happy is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I'm going to continue to read in just a moment, but these he's talking about dedicated followers or dedicated believers in God and how they look for opportunities to hear the word of God. And they look for opportunities to think, to, to meditate, to ponder on the word of God. And they seek to obey it. And because they seek to obey it, they experience God's blessing in their lives. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now notice in contrast to that individual who longs and, and for the word of God and values the word of God. Look at verse number four. He says, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous but the way of the ungodly shall perish. May we as a church, and this is my prayer for Trinity Baptist Church, may we as a church not be content with outlines. May we not be content with sermons. And I believe within the body, the membership of Trinity Baptist Church, you all are very gracious and you enjoy preaching. You enjoy hearing the word of God taught and preached. And that is wonderful. But may we not just be content with outlines and sermons, but may we always and only be content with the God of the Bible. This is his word. May we learn to love him more as we are in the word of God. We're surrounded by a great many witnesses who have experienced and learned that God is faithful and that God is true. God's word motivates us. To holy living. Let's turn back to our text in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. 
So we notice, first of all, that we're motivated to live holy lives by the word of God. Because maybe you asked yourself the question last week, okay, God's saying, be holy as I am holy. Maybe you thought, I'm not, or I I can't be. Well, in Christ, you are. Your sins have been taken away, purchased. You belong to him. You are in Christ. He is in you. And you say, but Pastor Ferguson, I've got this wicked flesh, and I live in this wicked world, and and I have these, these lusts of the flesh, and they keep welling up, and they come again and again and again, and how am I supposed to live a holy life? And, and Peter subtly points them back. It is written. You go back to the word of God and we let the word of God wash over us and cleanse us. And you know what? We have to confess sin and he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he sets us back on the way everlasting and he never leaves us nor forsakes us. His spirit in, with his word in our hearts Purges us, it cleanseth, it cleanseth us. Number two, uh, we're motivated to live holy lives because of the coming judgment. Now, this is all, this is all uh, what Peter talks about in the passage. Look at verse number seventeen. He says, "And if ye call on the Father, and that would be a sign of a believer, if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons." judgeth according to every man's work past the time of your sojourning here in fear. There's some very practical statements in this verse, in verse 17, but the overriding thought is this, we're motivated to follow Christ because of a coming judgment, a time of accountability, a time when we're going to stand before God himself And we're going to be rewarded for the life that we lived as a child of God on this earth. Now, when you think about that day, standing before the Lord someday, and you're going to stand with him alone, before him alone, and he's going to judge you or reward you alone. He's going to uh, communicate what he knows to be true about you and about our lives that we lived on this earth on that day. He's going to reward us. Uh, for how we lived our lives to his glory during this lifetime. When you think about that day, does that is that a day uh, or a thought of encouragement where you're, you're excited to stand before him? Or is does it bring to your heart fear? Does it bring to your heart an uh, uncertainty, a trouble? Because Peter was not trying to trouble these believers. He was trying to encourage them. He was trying to exhort them. To be holy, to live holy lives. Don't give in to your flesh. Uh, Don't just go with the flow. I know the life you're living or in the world you're living in today is hard and difficult is what he was acknowledging to them. This is a time of heaviness and sorrow for you. And I know you're being tempted. He's going to get into some of those things later on in this epistle. So these are words of exhortation. He's not trying to scare them. He's trying to encourage them. That if they will run the race that God has set before them and live holy lives, that God himself is going to reward them someday. There's a reward for living a holy life. Now, the fact is, is sometimes we don't live a holy life. And as the children of God, we need to be serious about sin. I think there's a lack of seriousness about sin in the day in which we live in general. 
I think, uh, I think in general, there's an attitude of, well, you know what, none of us are perfect, and so, you know, what, what, whatever. That's not, that's not the mindset that we ought to have as children of God. We need to be serious about living for the Lord. Our Heavenly Father is holy, and he's, Peter's talking about this. Our, holy Father, our Heavenly Father is righteous, and God does not compromise with sin. He is gracious, that is true. He is full of mercy. He is forgiving. He does suffer long, we know that, but he will not permit his children to enjoy sin. Now, there may be moments of pleasure. There may be moments of enjoyment. But our Heavenly Father, who is holy, his spirit living inside of us will not permit his children to enjoy and live in sin. So what is this judgment that Peter is talking about here? Well, he's talking about a reward for living holy lives. Someday, Jesus Christ is going to return, and there's going to be a time of judgment called the judgment seat of Christ. Now, hold your place in 1 Peter. Let's go back to Romans for just a moment. And we're, we're not going to be long here, so... Turn quickly with me, Romans chapter 14 and verse number 10. Romans chapter 14 and verse 10. <clears throat> I'm going to begin reading in verse number 10 of Romans chapter 14. It says this, uh, Paul says to this church, he says, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, that, that's an interesting statement. I'll just stop to say this. Sometimes when we talk about holy living as believers, sometimes it makes us really offended at the unsaved world in which we live. That's not the point of us talking about holy living. Uh, Peter wasn't exhorting these believers to live holy lives so they could be mad at the unbelievers that were living in the world. That wasn't Peter's purpose. Nor is it... God's purpose to exhort each one of us to live holy lives so that we can be offended and upset and angry, and I'll say it this way, so that we can live in sin, angry about other believers who aren't living holy lives. Okay, and Paul talks about this. Why are you so upset? Why are you judging your brother? Because you're all going to stand for the judgment seat of Christ. Look at verse 11. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. I want you to leave there. I want you to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're talking about the judgment seat of Christ, this place of reward. And we, we want to know a little bit about it. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. And I'll read down through verse 10. Verse 9, he says, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him, or pleasing or acceptable in God's sight. Verse 10, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, turn back to our text, First Peter 
chapter 1, and we're looking at verse number 17, and he's talking here about how our Heavenly Father, who is holy, uh, doesn't give respect of persons. In other words, he doesn't deal with one individual one way uh, and another individual another way, uh, or I should say it this way, he's not unfair, he is just, he is holy, he always does what is right, and he judgeth according, it says in verse 17, according to every man's work. Now, each of us are going to give an account of our works someday. And as we think about that, that may be a little bit troublesome to us. And each of us are going to be rewarded according to how we lived our lives on this earth, what we did with what God gave us. Now, we might, when I say that, we might automatically think, well, what did, what did he give me? He's given me a house. He's given me, well, how about our lives, the length of life? How about his word? What did we do with his word? How about what we have done with him, his spirit living within us? Convicting. What did we do with the conviction? What did we do with his leading when he prompted us to love one another? When he prompted us to forgive one another? When he prompted us to give the gospel? Um, what did we do with what he has given us? So God is going to search into the motives of the good works that we did on this earth. And that's what's communicated in these passages He's not just going to judge us or reward us based upon what we did and the credit that other people gave us, but what he knows our hearts to be. God is going to examine each one of our hearts at the judgment seat of Christ. God is going to reward us. First Corinthians chapter four says it very interestingly in verse five, the latter part, it says this, that God's going to bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, the motives of our hearts. And then, he says, shall every man have praise of God. That's an amazing statement. Then shall every man, talking about born-again believers, have praise of God? What a tremendous encouragement. And that's what Peter's trying to do. He's trying to encourage these believers he wasn't talking to perfect believers. He wasn't talking to people who hadn't sinned. In fact, we're going to see that some of them were living in sin, and Peter had to exhort them to stop doing that. But what a tremendous encouragement. Then shall every man have praise of God. God is preparing us and working in us, and he's working through the circumstances of our lives to bring glory to himself, through what he's done in our lives. So when you and I look back over our lives and we think about our personal failures, we think about the hardships that we sometimes face. We think about the temptations that we face. Know this, that in everything that God brings into our lives, he is allowing them into our lives, not to prove that we are perfect and have no need of him, but to reveal to us that we have a tremendous need of him, and that he is our salvation. And when we yield to him, and when we confess that sin and forsake it, and when we get up and we walk in the spirit and we don't fulfill the, the, the lust of the flesh, 
You know what we do when we do it as unto the Lord and not unto men, not to please men, not to promote ourselves, not to get men's applause to say, wow, what a what a wonderfully disciplined person she is or he is or what a hard worker he is or how amazing that person is. That's not the goal. The ultimate goal is that God would be glorified in you and me. Now, in this verse, he also talks about how we're sojourners. You see the word there in verse number 17? He says, he says, past the time of your sojourning, which has the idea of a foreign residence or as your strangers. He says, past the time of your sojourning at the end of verse 17 here in fear. God doesn't intend for us to find our ultimate fulfillment in this world. He doesn't intend, he's never intended for us to find our ultimate happiness or our ultimate peace in this world. So we ought to stop looking for it in this world. We ought to look for it in the Lord. Now we can have peace in this world because Christ lives inside of us and we have his word to guide us and direct us. But at the same time, there's still suffering in this world. We can have joy in this world, but it's not heaven by any means. And Peter's reminding these suffering believers that they're just passing through. And we ought to be reminded of that, too. We're just passing through. Life is too short to to waste living in disobedience. It's too short to waste living in sin for temporal things. It's interesting to me that he goes here. With these believers. This was not anything close to a self-help. But it was exactly what they needed. They're hurting. They're feeling alone. They're feeling forsaken. Betrayed. Unwanted. Rejected of men. And what does Peter. Under the inspiration of the spirit of God. Tell them. Well he says remember. um, Someday Christ is going to return. You need to live holy lives because your father is holy. You need to be motivated by the word of God. It's written. And you need to be motivated to live a holy life because there's a coming judgment. And now here he's reminding them you're just passing through this world. Life is too short to waste living a life of disobedience and sin. Look over to chapter 4 in 1 Peter chapter 4. And I'll read beginning in verse 1. He says, for as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live in the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, that's unbridled sin, Lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. He's talking about hey, listen, life is too short to live the way you used to live it. Live a holy life. Listen to the word of God. Seek 
God. He is our salvation. Say yes to the Holy Spirit. Let him purify you. I need to let him purify me. Not that I need to get all upset with myself because I'm not perfect. No, but I need to be I need to hate the flesh or hate the hate sin, but love God and look to him to deliver me and mold me and make me into being what he wants me to be. How are you doing in your sojourning? I could ask you that question. Do you view yourself as a stranger in this world? Or are you looking to make this world heaven? Because God never intended for this world to be heaven. You know, it was when Lot, I talked about Abraham and Lot last week. It was when Lot stopped being a sojourner. He stopped traveling through and he became a resident of Sodom. It was when Lot became a resident of Sodom. He, he tried to find his happiness and his joy there. And ultimately, Lot lost what? He lost everything. He lost everything. I think in our day, we have to be very careful of making this world our home. And when we do, we're at risk of losing a great deal of eternal reward. We need to remember that we're strangers and pilgrims in this world. Now also notice he says there in verse number 17 that we're to pass the time of our sojourning in fear. In fear. And you see there in verse number uh, 17, the word fear, it has the idea of fright or to be afraid exceedingly. It has the idea of the word means terror. Now, this doesn't mean that we're to be cringing before our Lord in fear of death or hell, because as a believer, we're not afraid of that or eternal punishment. We're not afraid of that. But this is a loving, loving reverence of a child before his father, but also a healthy fear, knowing that my father can discipline me and he has the authority and right to do that. It's a fear of disappointing our father and sinning against his love. So this is a godly fear, and it's a sober reverence for God. And I, we should answer the question this morning, do we fear God? Do we fear him? There are a lot of things that we're afraid of. Some of those things have been highlighted in our lives, maybe recently. There are a lot of things that we're afraid of. Some of those things that we're afraid of, we shouldn't be afraid of. God would tell us to fear not. But we are told in the word of God to fear him. Do we fear him? Sometimes I sense a carelessness, carelessness amongst God's people about God's words and his working, his plan, his ways. Sometimes we complain about what he's doing. The Old Testament Jews so feared God that they wouldn't even pronounce his holy name. May we fear God because he is our judge. May we fear God because he is almighty May we fear God because he knows everything about us. May we fear him because we're each going to stand before him someday and receive reward or loss of reward according to the things that we have done and the motives with which we have done them or the things that we have not done during our sojourning here. You see, we're to live a holy life for reward. We, we ought to live a holy life the pleasing of God, that we might hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
There's one last motivation I noticed from the passage. And that's in verse 18 and following. And that is that we're to be motivated to live a holy life by the love of God. By the love of God. Look at verse number 18. He says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain or empty conversation, empty way of life received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. So Peter's writing to these believers and he's saying, I want your your faith to be in God, not in this world. I want you to be full of hope in God because the God who raised Jesus from the dead is your God. And, And if you do die in this life, you are going to be raised from the dead the same. You're going to be raised again. And we're motivated to follow Christ because of the love of God. Now, this is the highest and noblest motivation for holy living. 1 John 4.19, John wrote about this. He said, we love him because what? He first loved us. Why do we love God? We love him because he first Loved us. Now, in verse number 18, he reminds these Hebrew believers who they used to be. Look again at verse 18. He says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed, ye were not bought with corruptible things as silver and gold from your empty way of life received by tradition from your fathers. And he reminds these Hebrew believers, you needed to be bought back. This word would have had very special meaning in the day in which Peter was writing. He was writing the Roman Empire was was, uh, in charge. They were the world power of that day. And in this time in Peter's life, there was an estimated 60 million slaves within the Roman Empire. Many slaves received Christ. Many slaves were members of local churches. Roman law allowed slaves to purchase their freedom. You can imagine perhaps being a slave. How do you ever save up enough money to purchase your freedom? And there were different kinds of slavery within the Roman Empire, but it allowed for slaves to purchase their freedom if they could collect the money necessary or if the slave master decided to sell the slave to somebody who could pay the asking price in order to set that slave free. When this happened, it often happened with family members of the slave paying the price to set the slave free. And so I say all that to say this, redemption, the idea of being bought back or being purchased, their freedom being purchased, redemption was a tremendously precious thing in the day in which Paul was writing. We must never forget our slavery to sin. And Paul was reminding them, you were redeemed. You were bought back, not by silver or gold. He says it in verse 18, you see it there, uh, not by silver and gold, not by the traditions of your, or from the traditions of your father, 
Um, Titus chapter 3 reminds us of who we used to be. It says, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And Moses reminded the Israelites over and over and over again of their bondage in Egypt. Over and over again in uh, Deuteronomy. And uh, he reminds them again and again, you God, he, he redeemed you. He delivered you out of slavery. The generations of Israelites that died in the wilderness forgot the bondage of Egypt. And therefore, they didn't love God. You see, if we forget who we used to be and the slavery we used to be in, or what we used to be a slave to, we will begin to resent God. And that's what happened with the children of Israel. They resented the manna. They resented the quail. They resented the sojourning. They resented having to trust God for his provision. And Moses kept saying to them, remember where you used to be. And it got so bad, their forgetfulness of where they used to be and how much they hated that, that it got so bad that they began to say, we want to go back. They resented God and his provision and his leadership and all that he was doing in their lives so much that they wanted to go back. And Peter calls this lifestyle empty, vain is the word he uses in the text, meaningless, a never satisfying manner of life. The word conversation means manner of life. And Peter is warning these Christians not to go back to their former lifestyles that were empty and miserable the world doesn't know what a full life is. The world doesn't know what a hap- what true, genuine happiness is. And he tells them, remember who you used to be. And he also says in those verses that I read to you, remember who you are in Christ. Now, the word redeem means to set free by paying a price. And again, a slave could be set free if he paid the sum of money, a certain sum of money, but For you and for me, no amount of money could ever set us free. Only the blood of Jesus Christ. And Peter often mentioned the sufferings of Christ in his writings. As Peter was referring to Jesus as the lamb, look at verse number 19. He says, you were not not redeemed by corruptible things. In verse 18, as silver and gold from your empty way of life. Received by tradition from your fathers. In verse 19 he says, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. A lamb. He's reminding his Hebrew believers of an Old Testament teaching that was very important to the early church. And it was the doctrine of substitution. Oh, I could say it this way. Uh, a substitutionary sacrifice. The innocent giving his life For the guilty. And the doctrine of substitution is all throughout the word of God. Beginning all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. When God killed innocent animals to hide Adam and Eve's sin. Their nakedness. An innocent ram died for Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. An innocent Passover lamb was slain for each Jewish household in Exodus chapter 12. The Messiah was presented in Isaiah 53 as an innocent lamb. Remember Isaac asking Abraham, where is the lamb? We have the wood. We have the fire. But where is the lamb, dad? 
And in Genesis 22, John the Baptist answered that question when he pointed to, to Christ and he declared, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. In heaven, they talk about a Lamb. The redeemed and the angels sing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And from a human perspective, Jesus' death was a terrible tragedy of injustice. But Peter makes it clear that Jesus' death was an appointment. You see it in verse 20. It was not an accident. He says, Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you? He's referring back to verse 19, this lamb that died. Jesus willingly laid down his life for sinners. And God raised him up from the dead so that anyone who believes upon him can have everlasting life and they can live a holy life for him. Look at verse 21. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith, your hope might be in God. When we think about the resurrection of Christ, we think of what God did taking a body that was dead, broken, beaten, had become sin for us. And God, our Father, raised him up from the dead. That means that there is hope for you and for me, a certainty, an assurance, and it gives us faith. It gives us hope. It gives us, it builds up our confidence and our trust to live a life according to the will of our Father, like our Lord Jesus Christ lived a life according to the will of His Father, knowing what it was going to cost Him, but knowing that His Father was going to ultimately deliver Him. And that is our motivation as well, and it gives us faith, and it gives us hope. I would ask you this as we close this morning. Are you obeying God? Are you obeying Him? Are you living in obedience to your Father? Are you living a holy life? And I pray even now that the Holy Spirit will will search our hearts and try them, our thoughts. He'll see if there be any wicked way in us. And you know what? If the Spirit of God in His mercy is convicting us of thoughts that are inappropriate or an attitude that is sour or a spirit that is critical, or a rod of pride that is welling up, an arrogance, or, or lusts that are going unchecked and we've excused them for, for too long, let us confess it before our, our Heavenly Father and let us forsake it. And by the grace of God, let us embrace the truth of 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. If we will agree with God about our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A young lady by the name of Frances saw a painting of the crucified Christ when she was a young girl. And it had a caption underneath and it read this, I did this for thee, what hast thou done for me? Quickly, she wrote a poem, but she was very dissatisfied with it. And the account records that she tossed the poem into the fire, but somehow it didn't, it wasn't consumed in the fire. Later, 
she was encouraged by her father to have the poem published, and it became a hymn that you and I sing. And uh, it goes like this. I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed, that thou might ransomed be and quickened from the dead. I gave, I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given for me? That is a great question for each one of us. And I trust that each one of us are ready to stand before our Heavenly Father and give a good answer. Will you pray with me this evening or this morning? Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for sending your son to die for us in our place. Father, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified in our lives. Father, I pray for us, this assembly of believers in this 9 a.m. service, many dear saints who have faithfully walked this earth for many years and you've cleansed us over and over again and forgiven us over and over again and you have been faithful to us. Father, I pray that we would live for you Father, some of us may be discouraged. Some of us maybe have lost uh, a vision for what you want to do in our lives or through us. Maybe, Lord, we've just gotten worldly and we've just kind of given in. But, Father, I pray that our desire to serve you and live holy lives for you would be renewed. And I pray, Father, that you by your spirit would lead us and guide us in this day in which we are living. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.